On this month's Healing 101, I will be speaking with incredible male experts about various different mental health disorders and treatments to mark Men's Mental Health Month. In England, around one in eight men has a common mental health problem such as depression, anxiety, panic disorder or addiction. It's important that we look at what factors affect men's mental health and how we can help more men find help and support. So when they do decide to ask for more help or guidance, we want to ensure that they all have the information that they need and we hope that this mini-series might provide them with a wealth of information and some new research that might address some of their questions. On today's Healing 101, I am joined once again by Dr. Timothy Fong, a clinical professor of psychiatry at the Semmel Institute for Neuroscience and Human Behaviour at UCLA. Dr. Fong specialises in addiction, and today I'm asking him about cannabis addiction. A staggering 14 million people have used cannabis in the UK, making it the most popular illicit drug. While not anyone who uses cannabis will become addicted, 11% of users will develop a cannabis addiction, with that figure rising to 16% if you use cannabis as a teenager. Today, I asked Dr. Fong to explain how cannabis addiction develops and whether CBD products are worth using for anxiety disorders. Why is cannabis addiction rising and why are some people more susceptible to it than others? So cannabis addiction, otherwise known formally as cannabis use disorder, we've known about this for hundreds of years, and it's not like it's brand new. Inside our Diagnostic Handbook of Psychiatric Conditions, we do have formal criteria for cannabis use disorder that look exactly like criteria for alcohol, tobacco, and heroin addiction. Essentially, it boils down to ongoing continued use of cannabis despite physical and psychological harmful consequences. But when we close our eyes and say, what does someone with cannabis addiction look like? What does someone with cannabis use disorder look like? You know, we don't come up with like a stereotype image. We might think of kind of a stoner or someone with long hair who's sleeping in their mom's basement that's not really doing anything. And that's completely false. Instead, the patients that come into our treatment program here at UCLA are from all walks of life, young, older, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic groups. But what they have in common is that a relationship with cannabis that's hurtful, that's created damage. I'll give you an example. I saw a lawyer last week, a, a female lawyer in her early 40s, who talked about her relationship with cannabis was such that every time she tries to reduce or quit, she goes into cannabis withdrawal. She can't sleep. Her hands get shaky. She gets very anxious. She gets sweaty, very uncomfortable. And that's not a pleasant experience. She also talked about lying to her partners at work about where she was going because she would have the need and the compulsive urge in the middle of the day to use cannabis while at work. She talked about having struggles with anxiety and depression and thinking wrongfully that cannabis was the antidote when in fact cannabis was actually making her depression worse. She was also spending upwards of three to $400 per week on cannabis, a, a large amount of money that was creating some financial strain there as well. So put it all together. She walks, she talks, she works. She's not overdosing. She's not stealing from her grandma or from her boyfriend to finance it, but she's incurring physical and emotional damage. And I think those are the stories of cannabis addiction that oftentimes people don't realize are happening all the time, but they're just not as patently obvious to say, heroin addiction or 
even alcohol addiction where, or there are accidents and people are falling down or methamphetamine addiction where they're floridly psychotic and having all sorts of, uh, of, of terrible medical conditions. So that's a brief purview of cannabis addiction. And again, how common is it? Alcohol addiction is about 13% of the United States. Cannabis use disorder is somewhere in the order of about 4%. So we know it's not as common, but it's not zero. And it's certainly increasing in incidence and prevalence, in part because you have so much more access to cannabis now than ever before. So how can someone identify whether they've got a problem? I mean, you slightly cover it in your reference to the female lawyer, but what tips the balance from being a recreational cannabis to smoker and user to being an addictive cannabis user? Well, one of the risk factors is using, number one, starting to use cannabis at a very young age. So we know that if you get introduced to cannabis at a very young age, there's a much greater chance as an adult you could develop an addiction. But when I think about the risk factors as an adult, it really is, number one, using cannabis on a daily basis, multiple times per day. If you're doing that, there's a pretty good chance that you've developed a physical dependence and potentially an addictive disorder. The second thing, again, is a much more subtle thing. If we had 100 men and women who came into a cannabis addiction treatment program, you would get 100 different stories of the kind of signs and symptoms they have. For some people, they would have problems with sleeping and ability to function at work. Others would have difficulty arguments and relationships. Others would be physically uh, unwell, having physical uh, issues with cannabis. Others would have a lot of just irritability and distress. So it's not one single sign. And again, that's why I point to instead, if your cannabis, like gambling, if it's bringing you joy to your life, it's, if it's allowing you to function better at school and work and home, then it's not a problem. If it's allowing you to be creative and expressive and connecting you with more humans, it's not a problem. But if it's creating, again, discord, distress, emotional pain, physical pain, chaos, drama in your life, then perhaps it actually is creating a problem. I think so many times people misinterpret and then again, they say, no, 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 no. Cannabis is what helps me sleep. Cannabis is what helps me with, deal with the strain of my marriage. And they don't realize that it's the opposite, that it's actually the source of the problem, not the solution. And why is that? Why is it the source of the problem? Well, I think, you know, again, people oftentimes misinterpret and they think that cannabis, just because what it does, you know, it reduces anxiety, it puts people in an altered state. For some people, it makes them just, they enjoy the feeling of being euphoric, right? Just like any other drug of, of, uh, of addiction, that they then misinterpret that that's actually helping them when in fact it's not. It's just distracting them from actually doing the work necessary to help their problems. And again, all addiction, whether it's alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, heroin, amphetamines, you know, the beginning phases of it brings people a lot of thrill, a lot of excitement. But then as time wears on, that thrill goes away, the chase goes on for the tolerance, the withdrawal, the stalling out in other life development, the neglecting of other uh, things in life. And I think those are all the classic signs of addiction. Again, that's why with cannabis, it just looks a lot more subtle. It's not as, as obvious because, again, people, when they're intoxicated with cannabis, isn't so sharply and obviously intoxicated as they are, say, with cocaine or amphetamine 
or alcohol or even heroin. This episode of Hurt to Healing is sponsored by our friends at The And Partnership. The And Partnership is a global communications business working with clients like Toyota, Mars, Coca-Cola and NatWest, as well as charities like the Princess Trust and RNIB. They believe that by bringing diverse talent together in partnership, they can transform the way that great brands are built. They call it the power of and. On the Hurt to Healing podcast, we know that having honest conversations about mental health can help us to see different points of view and to better understand ourselves. Just like the and partnership's belief in the power of and, we believe that by coming together to share our stories, we make ourselves and each other stronger. To find out more about the work the and partnership creates, visit theandpartnership.com. That's T H E A N D partnership.com. And a massive thank you to the and partnership for supporting my mission and showing what we can achieve when we come together. Can you talk us through cannabinoids? Um, THC and CBD have become much more widely used now. And I think listeners would be interested to hear actually, you know, what is CBD and is it addictive and can it help and can it particularly yeah. help anxiety related disorders? That's right. So um, where you are in the UK, is CBD available in, in, in shops? Yeah, it is. And, and similar, like in the United States, I imagine there's been a big fervor in the UK. CBD creams are great. They're wonderful for this. They're great for pets. They're great for pain. They're great for sleep. So let me just start with, again, the cannabis plant. The plant has well over 100 different kinds of molecules and compounds called cannabinoids. Cannabinoids are these very interesting compounds that when ingested into our bodies, bind to uh, our receptors in our bodies that are called cannabinoid receptors. THC is the most popularly known cannabinoid. That's the one that happens to be mainly distributed throughout our brains and responsible for the psychoactive effects of cannabis, euphoria, the mind-altering effects, and things like that. CBD, cannabidiol, is another type of a cannabinoid. So you see how the language gets so messy. But essentially, it's one out of 100 different kinds of cannabinoids. So it's kind of like, you know, you go into an ice cream shop and there are 99 different flavors of ice cream, but it's all ice cream. The most popular form of ice cream might be, you know, Rocky Road, and then that would be THC. The second most co- popular might be coffee, and that's CBD. Now, where CBD, the cannabidiol, is different than THC, that it doesn't activate the brain cannabinoid receptors as intensely or as, in, in different regions like THC. So that's why you don't get the psychoactive effects, the euphoria or the mind-altering thing. But it still does bind to various parts inside the brain and throughout our body. But those receptors tend to be more responsible for things like pain and inflammation, cognition and memory. And so... One of the things that's so interesting about CBD is that if you take CBD and it activates the whole cannabinoid system, that in time will then also activate other parts of the body and brain that could be regulated. So that's why we have these very interesting studies showing that CBD could potentially be very good for mental health conditions like depression, trauma, schizophrenia, psychosis even. But what we don't have yet is enough scientific proof that that the CBD is going to work 
because we don't know what route of administration, what the dosage is, how long, where you should take it and things like that. So right now, when you buy CBD on the market, you get all sorts of variety of different flavors, right? The creams, the lotion, the gummies, the smoking of it, right? You're smiling because you know there, there's just all these manufacturing things that are completely bizarre and we don't know what, what works and what doesn't work. So we have this really weird situation where we know we have a very interesting product that probably does have a lot of benefit, but we don't exactly know how to use it. And I think that's where our, our field needs to do a lot better at because when patients come in to my office and say, hey, what dose of CBD should I use for pain? I don't have a good answer right now. I just know now that there probably is enough data to suggest that it, it would be useful. I just can't recommend it with such precision. So that's a short breakdown. Now, there's a whole host of, again, 100 other cannabinoids like CBG, CBL, and the list can go on and on. It's curious to know that our body does generate cannabinoids itself. And they have these very long names like um, anandamide, you know, uh, that are essentially different kinds of cannabinoids that our body generates, just like our body generates opioids and it generates dopamine and generates serotonin. It generates natural cannabinoids. So that's why it's such a fascinating system. I didn't learn about this system very much in medical school. And right now we're, we're trying to get doctors to learn more about this is that there's this whole cannabinoid system in our bodies that are responsible for so many interesting bodily functions from sleep, pain, mood, anxiety, appetite, really fascinating stuff. So do you think it will get to the point where you'll be able to identify those different strands and be able to treat them accordingly? So prescribe someone a certain dosage of CBD to treat anxiety, to treat stress and be much more specific about what you're actually giving them? You know, I hope so. I mean, I think this is where there's a balancing act because a lot of folks inside the cannabis industry or folks who really believe in the cannabis plant, they say, we don't need to do any of this stuff because we know it already works. Then there's other folks who are on the pharmaceutical side to say, well, true, we know it works, but we don't know the precise active ingredient or the precise recipe. And I think that's the challenge. I'll give you a quick example. I have a friend of mine who I play tennis with and you know, one day he woke up in a lot of knee pain. So he applied the CBD ointment to his knee and he came out and he played like gangbusters. He was running around. It was like, it was 19 in the end. He played tremendous, tremendous. Two weeks later, he got a different batch of CBD ointment from a different manufacturer. He put that on his knee, came out and he played terribly. I said, what happened? He's like, I don't know. I, I, I used a different brand and now I, I, I can't move. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was manufacturing thing or a placebo thing. But unfortunately, these are the kind of stories that we get. Compare that to like the story of ibuprofen. If he buys a different same bottle of ibuprofen every two weeks, every four weeks, he's going to get the same response. And I think that's the issue I have with cannabis. Opponents of that will say, hey, you know, that's ridiculous. We know that, you know, it's just it's all going to work. You just you're just going to have to trust it. But if we want to do it scientifically, and again, medicinally, we have to do it just like the way we do it with over-the-counter Tylenol allergy medicine. We can't leave it to the whims of just varying batches. We, we have to do better with precision, with accuracy, with manufacturing practice and standards of saying, 
we know this dose works, we know this dose is too much, or we know this dose is too low. So in summary, can you say that, I mean, obviously CBD can be beneficial in given the right dosage and strand, and that's in the process of being researched more and hopefully we'll get there and you will, I'm sure, get to the stage where you will be able to treat mental health issues with CBD um, and such like. But can cannabis ever be beneficial and performance enhancing? The thing I think about CBD at this point is that if you're taking it to treat something, pain, emotional stuff, sleep, whatever, I would much rather people take something that we know is tried and true, something that's scientifically proven to work. Uh, I don't want people to not do standards of care first. So whether that's a prescription medication or, or psychotherapy or whatever, I think they should do standard evidence-based treatment first. When it comes to something like, well, I want to take CBD for just curiosity or just to try it out or to be more free and, and, and do things. I think that's certainly something that people can do, particularly because it's regulated and it's available legally. But I wouldn't put 100% stock into whatever experience happened to say that that is definite truth. In other words, Oh, like I took it and I played tennis amazingly well. I, therefore, it must be the CBD. No, there's got to be so many other factors that are going in there. So when it comes out to sports performance, that's a whole other separate area where we do think that there is potential uh, sports enhancement properties of the cannabis plant, whether that's THC, whether that's CBD, whether it's a combination of THC plus CBD, whether it's something else. We don't know. But... I just know that there's a reason why we have to be careful about these sorts of substances in sports. Uh, I'll give you an example. A lot of um, if you're doing combat sports or marathon running or extreme long distances, there's been clear evidence that by using THC that allows you to tolerate physical and mental pain of those sports easier. I mean, it's not, you know, it's painful to run 26 miles. And suddenly if you had a product that allow you to push out pain much better that would help you. Uh, I remember working with a couple of professional golfers who said using THC, they got a huge advantage in anxiety related performance. I mean, these are the sorts of questions that uh, are a lot better in, in professional basketball. Like I, there are a number of professional players that said that using cannabis in its whole plant allowed them to focus better, allowed them to shoot with more accuracy and allow them to recover quicker from injuries. Whether that's true or not, that's what happened to them. That was their lived experience. So I think we had to look at you know that as, as a very valuable thing. So the bottom line is right now, is I think we're in very early stages of trying to determine, again, precisely how can THC or CBD or any cannabis ingestion make athletic or physical performance sharper, better, more efficient, and with less pain. That's all the goal, what we all want. But I don't think we're quite there yet again to say with definitive science, we know this to be true. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Mm-hmm.